I've known this to be true because I also have met some people who, you know, have made it. And it does turn out that some of them are angrily upset with the talented people and they just don't like them being around. I think that reminds them a little bit like how lucky they are and they just wish the person would disappear. Thus, my, my you know, idea to do a murder mystery, one way to make them disappear is, <laughs> you know, to kill them. This is Northwards, stories about northern New York, Vermont, Ontario, Quebec, and sometimes stories about stories. I'm Mitch Tyke. Support for the Northwards podcast comes from the J.C. Steininger and M.E. McDonald Charitable Fund at Adirondack Foundation in support of the Adirondack Foundation, building stronger Adirondack communities. About 15 years ago, I wrote a novel. In my mind, it was a comic, early midlife crisis, coming-of-age story that delved into the weight of a person's unfulfilled potential. And in the end, maybe that was a good metaphor for the book itself. Looking back on it now, it had its moments, some of which came from my own brain, and others from the much more distinguished group of writers that I had surrounded myself with. I met with them every week at a writer's group. Anyway, I finished writing a few drafts of the novel, sent out some query letters, some sample chapters, sat with a couple of agents and had very awkward conversations with them, and eventually put the book and its flash drive in a drawer and every once in a while, mutter something to myself about going back to it. Maybe, though, what it needs is a good book doctor. You don't know what a book doctor is, you say? Shame on you. In very few words, book doctors understand what's wrong with a manuscript, and then they make it better. Sometimes that means a nip here and a tuck there. Other times, it might be a lot more. Like many book doctors, our guest on today's episode has not just helped other writers, but has his own name on books as well. And the hero of his new mystery novel is himself a book doctor and is also a literary agent and recent parolee for manslaughter. That's the character, not the writer. The writer is Mark Wish. He lives in Tully, outside Syracuse, and his latest novel is called Necessary Deeds. Welcome to Northwards. Glad to have you here. Thanks for having me on, Mitch. Mystery novels, especially ones with so many twists and turns, uh, make for tough interviews, of course, because I don't really want to start every question with spoiler alert. Um, so let me just ask you, how do you describe what's going on in this book to someone you think will want to read it but not want to know too much ahead of time? I think I would say that it's about – there's a, there's a, a little bit of love versus hate going on in this book. There's definitely a, you know, who are people truly, although that's probably true for any mystery. Um, and I think there's a lot about envy and, and how that sort of can spin out of control. Yeah, I mean, I, I, so much of the storyline revolves, I, I kind of, as I read it, felt like it was a three-legged stool here, talent, success, and jealousy or envy, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and, and really the intersection of those three for having been around the literary world for as long as you have, are those things as close to the surface as you portray them? Um, you mean just among people who are in the business, yeah. in the publishing and writing business? Um, not so much on the surface there at all, or even when writers uh, see each other face-to-face -face at writing conferences or whatever. Um, but boy, is it ever just beneath the surface. And that I know from having been a book doctor uh, for 
the whole time I've also been a novelist. You know, my novels haven't necessarily made me a, a millionaire on their own. So I, it, just like a lot of other writers, I had to do other things to, to uh, pay the mortgage. And book doctoring was one of them. And that's just that in my case, uh, the, what I brought to that business was very, very thorough editing, more so than, you know, more so than copy editing, more so than proofreading, sometimes telling people, listen, you need to have a whole new ending here. Um, this whole chunk has to go. A writer does not come to you unless things aren't right. If they know how to write and revise and they can click with an agent right away and they're off to the races with a big house, they don't need a book doctor. It never happens. A lot of the clients that I've had as a book doctor have, in the, in the initial call, uh, I used to have I used to have my phone number in the Atlantic Monthly, <laughs> and in Poets and Writers, and people would call me first, and there would be these long conversations where we'd be sort of feeling each other out, and I heard so many sob stories and so many angry stories about this writer and that writer, and if only I could, why did that person get that? And they said this terrible thing to me. You'd get them going on the phone. And uh, once they started talking about their frustrations with writing, very soon thereafter would you start hearing about how they wish they could be like this or they wish they could have that book contract with that publishing house, et cetera. It'd feel like uh, you were, I mean, it sounds like one part book doctor, one part book psychologist, one part bartender. Yes, yes, <laughs> in a lot of ways. Well, and, and I think the other thing that comes through in this book is the, the nexus of talent and success, uh, the idea that the people who are the most successful are not necessarily the ones who are most talented and, of course, vice versa. Right. And there, therein is where a lot of frustration lies. And it kind of goes both ways. You have the people who, who have a lot of natural talent um, and are not getting, they're not grabbing the brass ring. It's not even coming their way. Um, and there are plenty of reasons for that. We know privilege has a lot to do with that. We know where you live has a lot to do with that. You, the, how you are perceived as a person. So the talented people um, who are not getting the goods, as it were, they're not getting the big contracts, they're not getting the zillion readers, and they're not on, on Oprah, you know, whatever, they often envy the the ones who are connected and, 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 you know, not so talented. And who, by the way, might be just hiring book doctors like me and just collecting the money and showing up at the, at the events. Um, the weird thing, and I think this is what Necessary Deeds explores, is it turns out that the people that are at the top, the ones who grab the brass ring, the millions of dollars are flowing in, and they might be having someone else doing the writing for them. Um, they're not that good at revisers. Uh, and, that, and that's with writing, that's, that's a lot of it. They might be insecure about the fact that they are not as talented as people they know who are out there who, who haven't gotten the same success but, but actually have that talent. Exactly, exactly. And you would think, like, who cares? I mean, among writers, when, you know, when they do talk, or at least the ones I've talked to a lot, what counts is how many copies did you sell? How big was your contract? How many readers do you have? You know, now now that this whole social media thing is out there, how many Twitter followers or whatever? Um, X, please. X followers. X, oh, my bad. My bad. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, Mr. Musk. Uh, yes, I, I, I've known this to be true because I also have met some people who, who you know, have made it. And, and it does turn out that some of them are angrily upset with the talented people and they just don't like them being around. I think that reminds them a little bit like how lucky they are. Maybe. I don't know. And they just wish the person would disappear.
And, you know, thus my, my, you know, idea to do a murder mystery, one way to make them disappear is, <laughs> you know, to kill them. Well, right. And, and, and we haven't talked a, a great deal about the, what kind of sets the plot in motion here. And that is the, uh, the early release of your protagonist from right. Sing Matt, Sing Penitentiary. Matt Connell, <clears throat> Matt Connell right? Uh, he's been in, in prison for what we would call a crime of passion. Yes. But the reason he's been sprung is what? The reason he's been sprung is because the FBI uh, is having a very difficult time down in Manhattan trying to solve these multiple murders of novelists, young novelists. And he's a, he's a literary agent, or at least he was a, until a, he was thrown in jail. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, and you could say still is uh, because he his, his warden does bring him in to ask him to do, in fact, a little book doctoring <laughs> right. on, a, on a manuscript that wasn't necessarily so hot. And we, we just learn, a, we get a little paragraph on that. But uh, yes, so anyway, the FBI uh, has an idea that there's a certain suspect and they think because Matt had represented this person before he, you know, was thrown in the, in, in, in the clinker for, <laughs> for uh, this crime of passion, uh, Matt can help them get the evidence. And, and, and this guy uh, that they suspect without giving, again, without giving too much away, is uh, one of the classic cases that we were talking about of somebody with a lot of talent, but who has never grabbed the brass ring to this point. And, you know, obviously the, the FBI feels like, well, that might be a very frustrating factor that might make him a, a suspect. Right, right. Another issue with uh, with that I thought was interesting with Matt Connell. Um, I'm curious about his attitude towards New York City and mm-hmm. and maybe yours as well. Um, mm-hmm. He has the view, having been away, maybe not willingly, of course, but mm-hmm. for for whatever it is, seven years or six years, a um, little over four. He was he was supposed to be in for seven. And okay. At the time, the FBI comes to spring him, or to give him the deal to go undercover. It's, it's a little over four. Okay, so he's been away. Uh, and he comes back and and is able to kind of see the city through fresh eyes. And so I guess my question is, because you've moved away from the city, mm-hmm. where in the process of this book were you when you moved away from New York or New York City? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, want, I guess I, I wondered if that informed how you were able to sort of see New York through Matt Connell's eyes. I just moved from New York this summer from Manhattan uh, to to up to we were just talking about it, Tully, uh, New York, which is between uh, the Ithaca and Syracuse. I didn't really think about that when I was writing the book, but there's a lot of stuff that Matt talks about with noticing how people are with phones. I was just thinking that, yeah, and and that did bother me a lot when we came back down. One of Matt's observations, or it kind of bothers him, is. You know, you have this gorgeous city. You have this history. You have these, you know, the, the, the diversity, the beauty of the people. It's, it's vibrant. And to be sitting there staring at your phone while you're walking. And by the way, then you're bumping into people. And then, you know, they bump into me or Elizabeth, my wife. But you're just missing it all. Like, you might as well just be sitting anywhere with your phone. You don't even have to be. Why are you paying this high you know, rent or, or maintenance fee if, if, if you're going to be staring at your phone the whole time anyway. It's the people that make that city. Whether you're in a good mood or bad mood, whether you don't really want to be around people or not at the moment, it's a great thing about it. And I wouldn't want to, I would not want to waste it, you know, time looking at my phone. But Matt was the same way. Yeah, there are points at which 
he was confronted with not wanting to have to deal with people, but there are always people around. Um, Mm -hmm. And it's one way he sort of judges his mood is by uh, whether he minds being in the in the presence of other people. That's true. And I think the love interest, um, M, the the woman who he has the love interest with kind of that, that kind of that kind of works or that's shown through his relationship with her. There are times they get along with each other better than other times. And, um, you know, again, that offers a few plot twists. And, and his, co- his partner undercover, Jonas, the guy who's with the FBI, uh, they, they become pals. But there are some, some not-so-great moments between them also. There's kind of, there's kind of an up and down uh, with him and other people. I want to ask a, a couple of like craft questions mm-hmm. uh, here, and uh, maybe the first one is a, is is another uh, cliche in the category of things you can ask a guy who's written a mystery novel. <laughs> did you know who did it before you wrote the book? Uh, yes, <laughs> yes. I did. Did I? Did I? Did, you know the very moment? I mean, I think I, I did think of the old trick that I think some writers do. And that I've done, especially when I write short stories, you know, you have an idea to write a plot a certain way and then to make sure the reader is surprised. You, you know, you, you sit down, you write it, you have your ending in mind. And then sometimes when just change the ending, you were always going to just now, now do the opposite at the end or do something <laughs> like right in the middle or I don't know what. And, and, and make it still that it's motivated by what happened. There are little things if you look back or you can maybe, you know, uh, hoof them out a little bit. But do something different. So I did think about that. I did think about... Well, you want it to be this person, but maybe you should, <laughs> you know, just using that same trick, just have it be another person, you know, instead as you revise. So that was always in the back of my mind that I might change it, but then I didn't change it. It's almost like the choose your own adventure technique. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So one of the other really interesting aspects of this novel is that it exposes us to you, the novelist, in a couple of other forms. There, There is original poetry that shows up in this book, and yes. I assume that it is your poetry. <clears throat> yes. Um, it was not AI-generated. It was not <laughs> plagiarized. <laughs> you didn't hire a poetry doctor. Correct. Correct. Um, I'm not sure if they exist. <laughs> but. Well, and but the other aspect that I thought was kind of delicious was there are a couple of places, uh, for example, in the warden's uh, the the excerpt we get of the warden's uh, memoir or right. or summary uh, of it. yes, yeah, yeah. Um, and then some later on, you you kind of experiment with let's just say subpar writing. Yes, and I guess I, I'm wondering as a as a writer of some renown whether it was difficult. <laughs> you know, I think of the actors who are called on to sing poorly in a in a sitcom or or whatever, right. and how hard it must be to intentionally do something poorly, or whether as a book doctor there were so many examples you could call on to uh, to to emulate. It was the latter, <laughs> <laughs> um, but. That's not really fair to say because the number of drafts I did on this book were, I can't tell you how many, beyond dozens. I mean, a lot of drafts. And same, same with a lot of my fiction that's gone on to be published. There are novels of mine and there are short stories of mine that never got published. And I might have even done a lot of drafts of those and they just never really made it. You know, they just, you, something didn't click right or I don't know. Uh, so I can laugh at how, you know, cheesy or poor or 
bad a, a, a fiction manuscript is because I've written plenty of them myself. Um, but <laughs> I've also seen quite a few. I mean, I also taught creative writing on the on the university level and intro. So you know, you get some you get some doozies. <laughs> so it was not that hard to to you know think these up or you know there's certain there's certain tropes as people say, but there's also just certain mistakes everyone makes when they start out and you know you just sort of have to go back to that or you know i just had to bring to mind my my favorite <laughs> clients <laughs> and just well what were they right here well and and I, I i was wondering about that partly because you know as as someone who who works as a book doctor and uh, who brings together you know a collection of short stories every year mm-hmm. um you know you don't want to be in a position where uh the people who know you think you're making fun of them <laughs> right right no i you don't want anyone to think that and certain uh, just to just to be clear there's nothing in necessary deeds that is making fun of any author in Coolest American Stories, 2022, 2023, 2020. Well, and those are obviously or, the coolest American stories. And so they, they are they the coolest. Be, right. <laughs> right. It's not to say there wasn't some, you know, tough love revision done there. And that's not to say there wasn't some resentment on the part of some of them. But no, no way would I ever have taken any, any material or even tried to mock anyone. Yeah. If I was mocking anyone, it was from quite a while back. <laughs> <laughs> So I, I think there's one – this person, if the person is still alive, we've lost touch. And it was not a, <clears throat> a young person back then either. Um, we sort of had to lose touch, I think, or somebody would have ended up in Sing Sing. <laughs> well, and, and I guess this is, this is the, the, the thought I sort of wanted to end on. Um, and again, without giving anything away, there's a there's a point in the book where where Matt Connell starts fielding queries once again, mm-hmm. uh, and because the FBI asked him to. Right, right. So if this were a movie, there would be a montage of Matt Connell going through these uh, book queries. Yes, there, and, you're right. There would be. And one gets the sense. Apartment. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Like like almost answering machine messages or something. Yes, yes. Uh, one gets the sense. And I'm curious because of what you've done in the past, like, is everybody in the world an aspiring writer? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. You tell me, Mitch. Have you ever wanted to be a writer? Uh, I, Not really. I could give All you, radio. I could give you the flash drive with my novel on it if you'd want to well, read it. There, but, there, um, there might be your answer right there. <laughs> Here you, very successful in radio, and even you, Mitch, <laughs> all the time you put into this, all the obvious talent. <laughs> You didn't just write a short story. You didn't just write a few uh, a chapbook of poems, Mitch. You went for the freaking I novel. I wrote a hundred and twelve freaking thousand words, man. Wow, really? <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, for the right amount of like money, 40, Mitch. Forty thousand too many. <laughs> for the right, well, yeah, for the right amount of money, I will help you get rid of that forty thousand. No, uh, pretty much everyone in my family and Elizabeth, Elizabeth, my wife's family, I think they think. You know, writing is pretty easy. I don't know. I don't know what this is about my writing, but they, <laughs> they let's just say a surprisingly high number of people. When you really, when you really, when they're honest with you, it comes out. 
Right, you're at a coffee. I mean, I imagine you're at a coffee shop, and and the barista asks you what you do, and 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 they find out. And... <laughs> just so you know, just so you know, no smartphone, no coffee shops for this guy. All right, no. I coffee. mean, I love coffee. Right. Don't don't get me wrong, but I do not do the laptop in the coffee shop. Uh, right. Well, Never sure. Have. Even on the Upper West Side, just didn't do it. Well, you had to go into a restaurant occasionally and buy yeah. something, okay? Like the, yes, the prune Danish the shop. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. I'm sorry. Now you got me laughing so hard. Bumped it to the mic. Okay. Prune, prune Dan- Danish for right. Mark Wish. <laughs> oh, my God. And then they write your name prune. on the side of the Danish and they spell it wrong. And, <laughs> and here it is, uh, the, 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 the sign on the, you know, outside of the, of, of the Prune Danish shop <laughs> is Prune Danish shop with the P and the, P and the E after shop. Right, exactly. This is this is gold. Brune Danish, like they serve in Copenhagen. Uh, exactly. <laughs> There's be a line out of the you know out the door on you this can thing. See it move. <laughs> <laughs> and, and and because it's prune Danish, the line for the restroom is also really long. <laughs> okay. Uh so um the I guess the point All of that right. question was somebody See, finds now, out what you do and they you say know, we're trying to get book. people to buy this book. <laughs> Here I'll say the title again. <laughs> Necessary deeds on Amazon. But people are not gonna think this is a tense page turning suspense thriller. If we keep laughing like this and making jokes about prune Danish. All right. So we won't, we'll, we'll conclude in a, in a much more serious way. <laughs> yes. Uh, it, ha- it has been nine years since uh, the last novel of yours came out. Yes. Watch me go. Uh, and so seeing this book on the console in front of us right now, uh, does it come with some relief or. Uh, unadulterated joy or or what's the you know how do you describe what it is to to once again have a full-length novel in print that's that's something that i am sort of feeling and can answer as it's happening because today is launch day yeah as we're having this conversation as we're having this conversation this is the celebration this is the launch party right here prune danish for everyone (laughs) no better person than you And, and by the way you interviewed me in milwaukee for watch me go as well as for show up look good in 2011 if I, do you That's remember right. that i do you do right uh, and so so this is this is just perfect that 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 we're here and but it driving over here it kind of sunk in more that this is launched i mean i knew it i've been waiting for the day people you know when you know posting all the things is it's enough posting on facebook you know there's something that happened on my way driving over here from the from the hotel it really sunk in, and there is some joy and, and happiness, mostly relief, though, I would say. I mean, to wait that long, and there were a lot of ups and downs, like I said, and, and that was part of also living in the city while I had this agent and after I had my bigger, as it were, book deal from Putnam for Watch Me Go, the book that came out in 2014. Um, you know, it just it was all supposed to build and be so great, and it sort of ended up being the opposite, and then I, then I was there in the city where the sausage is being made, and it just it, it was it, you know it was time to leave. So it was just too long. I kind of knew that this book was pretty good, but the industry was not seeing it as such, or they didn't like me or something. <laughs> and so just just the fact that it's now finally out there, there's a definite relief, but also also some joy. Yes. 
Well, Mark Wish, I, I, I wish you uh, all the joy and relief in the world. Enjoy the French music while you're up here, <laughs> and uh, congratulations. I will. Thanks so much, Mitch. Necessary Deeds is the new novel by Mark Wish. It's just out, and you can read more about the book and the writer from a link at ncpr.org northwards. No prune Danish were injured in the making of this episode. We love to get your feedback or suggestions for future interviews. Write to me at mitch at ncpr.org or visit the NCPR pages on social media and leave us a comment there. Now, here's Ethan Shanty with a little feature we like to call the closing credits. Northwords is an NCPR podcast production. The show is written, edited, and produced by Mitch Tyke with digital production supervision by me, Ethan Shanty. Caitlin Kelly handles our social media, Bill Hanel is our digital director, and Doyle Dean is our production manager. Music is by the Wickmore Jazz Trio of Plattsburgh. To support this show and find more podcasts, visit ncpr.org. This is NCPR, North Country Public Radio.